Hey yo, I'm Katie. And it's your boy Corey, and this is the Press Next Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. We are back with another episode of the Press Next Podcast. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Okay, so you're probably like, there wasn't an episode on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the thing, you know. Sometimes I have to work late after work, and then um, I, we both work in higher ed. Yes. And Monday was a deadline for incoming freshmen, and that's who I work with. So it's just been a really, really hectic week. Um, you know, you can tell people to do stuff every single day, and they're still going to wait till the last minute to do it. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> it has been a hectic week. So um, we took some time and. Now we're here recording at 8.06 a.m. We'd we love, love it, to though. see it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Corey, you can go ahead and tell them. We we do plan on switching things up, though. You know, we release on Wednesdays, mm-hmm. but um, we're switching up. So tell them what we're going to do. Yeah, so we are going to release on the weekends, typically on a Friday, every once in a while, maybe a Saturday or Sunday. Um, that way, it gives us just a little bit more time to increase our production value for you all so we can... Mm-hmm. Watch the things we need to watch and do the research that we need to do and um, set up the the conversation that we're going to have. So, yes, you should be expecting stuff from us on the weekend. However, you will get this from us today. Today. Super Bowl Sunday. Also, little Perry's birthday. Sunday. Sunday. And then you will get another episode uh, from us on this Friday, this upcoming Friday. So, we are just glad that you are back and listening to us and uh, ready to dive into this episode uh, and then I think there's probably the most important thing to me for this month is that um, it's Black History Month. Yes. Happy Black History Month. Yes. Uh, my One of my favorite months, if not my favorite month. Um, and it's very important to me, obviously, being a black person. Um, and just a small history behind black history. It started out as a Negro History Week. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it was it just was a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it is a month, even though and I say this all the time. Even though it's the shortest month with an extra day, okay, even, <laughs> even on a leap year, it's still the shortest month, whatever. Um, it is a blessing to have a month that is dedicated to black history, uh, to all of the people who have contributed to making America uh, such a great place, but not only America, but just the world. Because I do want you to know that black history is not only celebrated, black history month is not only celebrated in America. Uh, really? Yeah, so Canada, um, the United Kingdom, Ireland, they all have their own Black History Months. Nice. Um, so shout out to them. That. See, interesting facts you learn every single day. So this is not something that is just um, celebrated in America. And I think that that is just, that's amazing. And I know that, the, you know, the arguments are out there and everything else of why is there a Black History Month and everything else. And I get it because I do, under Black History is history. Shout it's out to history. my mom. Yeah. She always says that Black History is history. Here's the thing. When it started back in 1926, or at least the Negro History Week, uh, and even now, we all went to public school for the most part, and some of you went to private school or were homeschooled. You didn't learn, when we talk about history, do we ever really talk about the black figures? No. No. So, yes, we need Black History Month, because our history that we have in school is whitewashed, Mm -hmm. and that is not how... America was built, and not only just for black people, but for other people as well, the indigenous people of this country, mm-hmm. the uh, Asian people who came over here, the Mexican people. We all play a major role in um, in in the precipice of what America is. Um, 
So I'm very happy for this month. We will be focusing our material around um, things that uh, that uh, affect the black community uh, and talking about our struggles and our uh, experiences within the black community uh, and with the black community. And today we decided to watch one of my favorite documentaries. It's also one of my most hated documentaries, meaning it just stirs up so many feelings for mm-hmm. me. Um, the documentary 13th, which is about the 13th Amendment. Uh, it was directed by Ava DuVernay. Uh, did I say her name right? Ava DuVernay. Mm-hmm. Not Ava DuVernay. <laughs> and so if you and, have not watched this documentary, please watch it. Yeah. And let's just talk about Ava DuVernay for a little bit. Like she has, she has created this, I don't, I don't even know how you explain it, but like she is obviously the director yes. of um, 13th of the Central Park Five. Yeah, um, when they see us. When they see us, yes. yes. They're now exonerated five. Exonerated five. Yeah. Um, and just a lot of different historical things and, and putting them on the screen. That way we can watch them. Mm-hmm. And I follow her on Twitter, and she is definitely a, um activist and a martyr, and I just love to hear from her. She has vision, yes. like, like not a lot of people have. Uh, so shout out to you, Ava, for being such a voice uh, for the black community and the black people. Um, being a strong black woman, we appreciate you. We love your work. Uh, 13th. And I can't even watch When They See Us Again. I can't. Yeah. I don't know if I could ever I watch can't. it again. That uh, that last episode of When They See Us with the guy, Corey, and mm-hmm. his name is Corey. I feel like I'm tearing up right now. I cried five times mm-hmm. in that episode. That one was way mm-hmm. too tough. I can't do that. I feel like there's a couple of things that I can never watch again. Yes. Um, Fruitvale, Fruitvale Station. Station. I have it on DVD too. I can't watch it. I can never watch that I again. I will keep I it. I mean, I might watch it again, but like, I don't, I have to be, and, and that's another thing that that took so long for us to record this episode is because mm-hmm. this is heavy. You yeah. know, like this was my third time, I think, watching this and it just makes me so angry every time and I... I get so emotional watching it because it just kills me that all the facts are laid out and we'll get into this later, but like all the facts are laid out on the mm-hmm. table. You can put it in the simplest terms possible in the most receptive way possible and people will still deny its truth. Yeah, people do People that will all the time. still choose to look the other way to ignore it because it makes them uncomfortable. Right. And, and that's with any subject. And so, like I said, it's been a hard week at work. I did not want to come home <laughs> and watch this hour and 40 minute long documentary that was going to make me feel some type of way. Yes. You know? So, but it is important. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think everybody should watch it. Get your kids to watch it. Yes. Like, it, it is a, it is a great um, picture version and and visual of what happens every single day. Every day. Today. And, and specifically, I'm talking to our white listeners or our non-black was- listeners. Because if you're black, you already know this, right? Like, Facts. you already know that this is what nothing it new. is. Nothing new. It's nothing new. And so... Um, yeah, I, I really think that everybody should should watch it. Definitely. And it's a documentary, so you can put it on and do something else. You don't have to watch it. 
you know like it's yeah if the images are too um are a little bit too too much for you it's something that you can definitely listen to as if you were listening to an audiobook uh but i do recommend it uh this especially during black history month here's the thing this is these are facts and this is history Mm -hmm. so if you are watching it with a child and they have questions and you don't know please look it up do your research with them and it's okay to tell them the truth okay Mm -hmm. it is okay we as young black children had to learn the truth Mm -hmm. that was very harsh Mm -hmm. and your little white babies are going to be fine too okay because we're all humans and we all are a part of this experience so the 13th documentary is about the 13th amendment okay Mm -hmm. it's really kind of about uh mass incarceration how that happened and about slavery because here's the thing and i say this all of the time i say this all the time slavery has never ended even though we like to think that it has i am a part of the movement abolish the 13th because the 13th amendment states neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime Except as punishment for crime. Again, except as punishment for crime. So what that says is slavery is gone unless you are a criminal. That was passed. Okay, well, fine. We won't, you know, slavery is a bad thing, so we won't have slaves. But, you know, if you're a criminal, we'll have slavery. So the thing is, the people who are are in the system right now are being subject to slavery i promise you that i know people who are in prison right now so this documentary is about that and how it very disproportionately affects black men in america and the reason why i say america is that one of the interesting facts that pops off of the screen as soon as you start the documentary so just to go into an overview is that one in four people in the world is in prison in the United States. That's a crazy fact. Another thing is that it shows you a timeline of what the prison population has been all the way, you know, when prisons first started to where they are now. Yeah. And it's it's insane. Yeah, so the documentary starts out with, you know, how a lot of people weren't in prisons and in jails, and then it goes kind of through the timeline of, uh, when slavery was abolished, and then what happened then, right? So the Thirteenth Amendment came <clears throat> into play. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then after that, well, what did they do? They just took all the slaves and they started arresting them. The free slaves now, the freemen now. They took them and started arresting them so that they can work and be slaves again. Um, so was slavery abolished? No. Okay. All they did was make it legal for you to be slaves in a roundabout way. Mm-hmm. And then it goes and moves into the Jim the Jim Crow era. You know the KKK. Uh, and things of that uh, nature. And then it moves, you know, talks a little bit about Martin Luther King, which I'll get into a little bit later. Uh, Then it moves, the timeline moves into the Nixon era. And Nixon kind of started the law and order talk, you know? Mm -hmm. He started the rhetoric of of law and order Mm -hmm. uh, and the rhetoric of war on drugs. And then it moves into the Ronald Reagan era. And Reagan, quite frankly, and there's not a black person I know that fucks with Reagan. Okay, Let's just talk about this real quick, because I thought this was really interesting. So um, if you haven't read the book, The New Jim Crow, Mm -hmm. I highly, highly suggest it. And I'll probably be referencing it um, a couple of times in this episode because it goes hand in hand with what this I mean, what this documentary is about. And so in the book, um, The New Jim Crow, it talks about the war on drugs and how this was 
kind of came to be from the Ronald Reagan era mm-hmm. and the era era and the Reagan administration. And to me, as a white woman, <laughs> blew my mind because white people love Ronald of Reagan. Of course they do. White people love Ronald Reagan. They think he was the best president, the yes. people's champ. Like, and so when I read that, I was like, hmm, something seems off. <laughs> this is kind of weird. So I went to Corey and I was like, did you know all of this? And I started going off. And Corey was <laughs> like, um, yes, did you not? And then he told me, you know, I don't know a single black person that likes Ronald Reagan. And to me, I was like, wow. That's I was crazy, I was right? blown away just because of um the difference yes. in white culture and black culture. Because obviously there's a lot of difference, I know. Um it just it was it was all new there's, to me. <laughs> there's so much that played a role in that. It was it was from crack uh versus powdered cocaine, mm-hmm. from the the rhetoric and the actual war on drugs. Like I don't know. I don't know if you know or saw the images and stuff. This is stuff I saw growing up. Shout out to my parents for subjecting me to this trauma. But at the same time, like I needed to see this, right? Mm-hmm. To understand what my place was in society. And when I say place, meaning not that like I have a, a cap, meaning I know how people are going to envision me as a black man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so seeing these images and these, the media played such a huge role. They had tanks busting into people's houses, not mm-hmm. just people. Full-ass tanks yeah. roaming the streets of regular-ass neighborhoods and taking the, 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 the pole and busting in people's houses. Mm-hmm. This is war on American citizens. And not just American citizens, American black citizens, mm-hmm. inner-city citizens. Mm-hmm. Because what you would get for an ounce of crack cocaine is what people would get for 100 ounces of powder cocaine. And we know that the black people and the Mexicans and the people of color were smoking crack because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. And the white people were doing cocaine. It was more refined. Mm-hmm. So, of course, white people love Ronald still Reagan. the rich people's st- drug. <laughs> right, right. But it's, if you look at even crack cocaine itself, cocaine itself is a white person's drug. Mm-hmm. But white people are not getting punished for it. Right. And have historically not ever been punished for it. I mean... Yeah, I, it it is. I mean, go to Dallas, you, <laughs> you know? Forget Dallas. I was in Stephenville, Texas, and I see that over and over and over again. No, I know that. I, right, I'm talking you know? about like the rich exactly. elites of Dallas. Coke. I don't know what it is with Coke. Never done Coke, or never Wolf will. Wall Street. Um, but anyway, don't want to go on a rant with that. But yes, and so we can talk about the parallels, at least for me, the parallels that I saw with Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. The reason why, at, from the beginning, I did not li- like Donald Trump. And y'all can say whatever you want to say about his policies. But the rhetoric, y'all don't understand how dangerous rhetoric can be. I've seen it happen firsthand to my people from a president who was speaking rhetoric and people believing it because they've seen images in the media mm-hmm. when it's not actually an issue. But anyway, so it goes from the Ronald Reagan era, talks about the, the war on drugs and, uh, and everything else, talks about crack cocaine, uh, and then it kind of moves into that early 90s era. Uh, talking about Bill Clinton punk ass uh, mm-hmm. and the 94 crime bill, which um, was not only a doing of, of Bill Clinton, people attached Joe Biden to that because he was a part of that. And there was a lot of people who were a part of that, including black people. There's a lot of black senators and governors and everything else who were a part of that crime bill as well. Uh, and so we'll talk about that. But a lot of bills, I feel like 
the pendulum often swings a little bit too far and then you just don't get uh, what you were intending to get. Um, but anyway, so it, it goes through all of that in the 94 crime bill and it talks about mandatory minimums and the three strikes rule. And I'm, I'm sure all of this sounds a little uh, foreign to you, but you got to think about this. When the mandatory min- minimums is what they put in place saying if you did a certain offense, you, you have to serve a minimum of this amount of time, mm-hmm. which effectively takes away the judge's ability to do the mm-hmm. judge's job, mm-hmm. right? Because the judge should be able to be partial and say, based on the context of what you did, this is the sentence that you deserve. And based on your history, if you've never exactly. had anything on your record right, and you get pulled over for distributing cocaine right. or whatever. Or framed, maybe, because that shit happens. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and you go away for life without parole. Yes. Like, what kind of sense does that make? Yes. And it talks about that. It talks about three strikes. So if you have three, uh, quote unquote, violent. So I'm going to say violent in quotes, mm-hmm. uh, that you pretty much go away for life on your mm-hmm. third strike. It talks about that. It talks about these companies who are, who have exploited and who are exploiting free labor from our prison population. The things that you are wearing on your body, the things that you indulge on a daily basis, and and we love to talk about the sweatshops and across the seas and look down our nose at them. And we love to talk about the coal and, and uh, cobalt mines in Africa and look down our nose on them. But there is free labor slavery going on in our backyard every single day. And you eat Idaho potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, look it up. This is just all disgusting stuff. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. We're so much better than this. And I love that this documentary shined a light on it. But uh, yeah, it is what it is. So it talks about that. Um, it talks about the bail issue that we have um, and stuff like that. Um, and so anyway, ph- phenomenal. That's kind of an overview of what it talks about. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal documentary. Please take an hour and 40 minutes out of your time to just watch this documentary. Watch it. And I don't implore you. Here's the thing. And I'm specifically talking to white people who feel as if they don't want to watch this because, you know, they, they're coined as racist and stuff like that. Here's the thing. Do not attach yourself to the things that have happened in this documentary. That's not to say that you don't benefit from some of the stuff that has happened historically, but don't attach yourself it's okay to learn about your own culture. Same for black people. Have black people have done some bad stuff? Yes. I'm, I don't have to subscribe to that as a black man. I don't do that. I can be better for learning the, the mistakes and sins of my fathers before. Yeah. Please take that angle. Humble yourself. If you feel as if there's some anxiety and you feel disgusted and you feel like, I don't want to watch this because it attached to me. Don't attach it to yourself. Just watch it from a historical aspect. These things are facts. They happen. Um, a lot of weird stuff happened to black people intentionally, not by, by happenstance. These are things that happen intentionally. It's the reason why a lot of black people are afraid to get vaccines. Please look up the Tuskegee syphilis trials. You want to talk to a black friend about how they don't want to get a vaccine? It's probably stemmed from that. And you probably have no idea what that is. And that's because you didn't learn it in history, which is why it's important for us to have a Black History Month. So beyond uh, all of that, that is the overview. But I really want to get into this discussion because I love this documentary. I love having discussion with you about stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm very interested in what some of your thoughts are 
on some of these things, especially you being, um, you didn't grow up black because you're not black, right? Mm -hmm. And you grew up in Linden where there was probably not a lot of black people. Yeah, there's a lot of black people. Yeah. Eh. Population wise, if the population is up to 100%, what's probably your population of black people percentage wise? I don't know. I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say there's a lot, but I mean, I definitely grew up around black people, but I will say that I grew up in small town America in small town East Texas where um, things are very old school. And that's not to talk trash on anyone that I grew up with or anything like that, but but things are very different in East Texas than they are in DFW, you know? Okay, so in 2019, in Linden, Texas, there's 578 black people. Oh. I just Googled that. In 2019? 2019. And so in 2014, that was even less than that. It was about 400. What the? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. But Linden, okay, it's I was okay about to, to say, think, but the population of Linden, Linden is, is not like big. Population of Linden is like, yeah, it's like, well, it says nineteen eighty eight, so two thousand. Okay. So, but yeah, pop, Linden is small, fifteen hundred people. It's not big at all. I mean, we got more people that live on campus here mm -hmm. than, than populate the city of Linden. And I grew up in Arlington, uh, Texas, big city, and so there was we're still a minority there. But fortunately for me, and I say this, this sounds so terrible. Hurricane Katrina happened when I was in high school, and we had a lot of. Uh, Black people from New Orleans come through the mm -hmm. DFW. Uh, and so I think that started kind of the migration in that, into that area. Uh, and it was cool because we got a lot of black people. So we had an influx. Um, and so it just, it just continued to increase our diversity. So um, it was, I was able to be in my classrooms. Here's a better way to phrase this. When you were in class, like when you looked around, how many black people were there? I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, out of my class of 62 people, I graduated with 62 people. Yeah. There were probably like 15 to 20 maybe. In a whole entire class? Out of 62 people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, okay. That, that might be a good spread. So in my school, which is a lot more, um, but every class I went to. <laughs> Listen, my school's so small. I'm sitting here like naming them off in my yeah, head. Yeah, <laughs> you got all 15. Nah, at, at, at my school, shout out to AHS. Um, I was always in a class with like three or four black people, different black people. Mm -hmm. You know, I walk into class and it was uh, probably three or four different black people, uh, probably five to si uh, seven Hispanics and the rest people are white uh, or or other. Like in a classroom? In a classroom, yeah. Oh, when I said class, I meant the no, amount no, no, no. that I'm I talking about when with. I walk. Because I think this is what happens. So like we work at a predominantly white institution. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk to students a lot about... Um, you know, they say, oh, we're so diverse. We're such a diverse campus. And so I always say, what's the percentage of, of black people on this campus? And they always overestimate. They're like, oh, like 40%. I'm like, bro, it's like 8%. Yeah. Okay. Like it is 8% people who go here are black. You just see like, them all because they're right, the athletes. Right. They're, they're the all, face of the they're university. They're athletes <laughs> and you see the same ones. And so yeah. I tell people, when you go to class, look around your class and see how many black people are in their class. Mm -hmm. And then see if it's the same black person. Yeah. Because if it's the same, don't count that person twice. And then typically their their thoughts change on like, oh, I really don't actually see a lot of black people around. What I do is, one, we all group together all mm -hmm. the time. Okay. Like anywhere we go be at, we go be together. All right. You go find us. Uh, and there's a reason for that. Too. Exactly. And there's a book for that. There's a book for that. We're going to find us a reason for that. There's, we don't have spaces for ourselves. So we create them uh, for ourselves. But anyway, so we so you see the group and you think that that's a lot. And it's really not. That's, that's it. That's all of us. Right. 
as compared to when you go and see your white counterparts. So rolling into that, what was your feelings when you, do you remember when you first saw this and like, what were your feelings? What were your thoughts when you first saw this documentary? Yeah. Um, I was sad and angry. Mm. Those were my thoughts after watching this. And, um, Obviously, I knew about a lot of this stuff because you and I have these conversations all the time. Yeah. Like, this isn't just a Black History Month thing. This isn't just a podcast episode. Right. Like, Corey and I have in-depth conversations about um, how we differ, how, how our experiences are different, how everything is very different for us being an interracial couple. Mm-hmm. And so... um I was just angry when I saw this because I think the feelings for me and like I expressed in the beginning is that people can have all of the facts right in front of them and they still choose to deny the way that um, black people are treated in America. Right. And I think that the biggest argument that just really sets me off is that we all have the same opportunities. Mm. And That's watching this documentary and also reading the new Jim Crow, you will see that we do not have, we may be equal, mm-hmm. but we are not equitable. Right. There is no, like, we may all have the same opportunities, but when somebody is starting at zero and somebody else is starting at 100, where do you think... You know, where do you think that that's going to go? And how do you think that that's going to progress? So black people started behind and have always been behind. Indeed. And now we're talking specifically about America, okay? Not in any other other places. Yeah, yeah. um, One of my favorite quotes ever is that, um, and I see this in in schools, like in in, uh, elementary schools, and it'll say something like, they didn't steal slaves. They stole doctors. They stole kings and queens and functional people in their society mm-hmm. uh, from the shores of Africa. Um, and so I feel you like sad. I In no way do I want y'all to think that I live like this depressing life because I'm black. <laughs> okay. Like I, I don't, I've been very blessed to have uh, and fortunate to have a very loving structured family. Um, I grew up in a two-parent home, which is not the same, I can say, for a lot of my counterparts, mm-hmm. um, a lot of my 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 peers. And um, we grew up in the suburbs. We were the only black family on the block, and there was a reason for that. My parents specifically did that for a reason. My parents came from the mud. My dad is from the streets and the hoods of New York, Okay, born in the Bronx, raised, raised in Queens. Uh, my mom is from the countries of countries of Jersey. Uh, but it's like, you know, the black country. So mm-hmm. all the families around her are black. They go to the church every single Sunday. They all know hymns. And so they grew up very poor and they had the chance and the opportunity to, to, to make a life better for themselves and their children. And that's just exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said they don't want us to live how they had to live. So they created the opportunity for us. And sometimes so often we think that that is moving to the suburbs where all the white folks are at. Uh, <laughs> but really the thing about it is the second you stepped into our house, is black. Mm-hmm. And you've seen this. You've mm-hmm. been in my house. Everything in our house is black. We were never 
allowed to ever forget where we came from and who we are. Everything's black in our house. You are not able to step in the house and not understand that this is a black household, even yeah. though it looks nice and it might be in a white neighborhood. And this is growing up. Uh, now my neighborhood is very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, but growing up, we were the only black family on the block. And so it was a little, and we lived in kind of the, we live in Dow Worthington Gardens. That was, you know, the bougie area, one of the bougie areas. Uh, DWG, everybody hates our police. <laughs> <laughs> because if you go uh, half a tick over the speed limit, you get pulled over, getting a ticket. Unless you live in DWG, so um, yeah. So my feelings is like I didn't, I didn't live like a depressing life, but my parents made it a point to always let me know who I was, how I would be treated based on simply based on the fact that I'm a black man. Mm-hmm. On top of that, they would let me know that because I'm bigger, it would be slightly worse. I'm a larger black male. Mm -hmm. I'm tall and I'm big. I got broad shoulders. I'm a little bit intimidating. And one of the first things I always get when I speak is, oh, you speak so well. You're so comforting. You're so welcoming. And I typically take that as a bias for them, right? They had a bias that I was like going to be this deep voice hooded, you know. My parents wouldn't let me wear hoodies into like public places. If I had a hoodie, I couldn't wear it into a bank or into a store, I couldn't wear do-rags out in public, all of that stuff because of, and, and unfortunately, because of what Trayvon Martin stands for now, mm-hmm. right? Which his birthday just passed. Rest in peace, Trayvon Martin. That was the perfect thing setting up. This was before Trayvon Martin. My parents were telling me I couldn't wear hoodies. I couldn't wear baggy clothes. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And I'm sure you had the conversation of what happens oh, when you my get God, pulled get over. Pulled over yeah. And... Hands on uh, the right. And people are like, you don't experience that. You know how many times I've been pulled over and have experienced some wild stuff? I've been pulled over at, in front of my house before when I got followed home. Like, it's just. In the white neighborhood. In the white neighborhood, bro. I pulled up in DB, and that made it even worse because then they feel like I'm not supposed to be there. Right. Right. Like, my parents didn't make good money and provide for us to be here. But I just remember when I saw this documentary. It just brought up all the feelings I had when I was younger and my parents were telling me about stuff like this and and showing us and teaching us. And we had to sit down and read and watch movies together as a family. And we had family discussions. My family is huge. And so we all had these questions and I can remember like you know people crying and I'm like just asking like why? Like why? I don't, I'm not really grasping the idea of racism, of like right. not liking somebody because they look different than me. Yeah, and I feel like that is a conversation that everybody in the black community has with their kids, and you talk about that, and people are like, why would you traumatize your kid like that? You have to. And you have to, because if you don't, then they're going to be in a situation where they don't even realize that they are the enemy. Right. Because they have never done anything to to prove that or to, to be thought of as an enemy. But just based on skin color, they are, and they don't understand that. They have no idea. So you have to. And that's why I think it's very important to that, that you and I have these conversations and for everybody to have these conversations, especially if you are in an interracial relationship. And I, our kids are going to be black, right? Yeah. Like, they will be mixed. But people aren't going to but see them as But people aren't going to mixed. see them as mixed. People yeah. will see them as black. And so I think it's very important for me, especially, to do as much diving into the culture as I can and learning about things and researching and reading and 
just talking to you about experiences because I'm going to have to talk to my kids about this. Right. And we're going to have to talk to our children about this. God grant us children. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I, when I saw this, obviously it's, it's very heavy. It's very eye opening though. Like I was also just blown away. Right. So, and this doesn't just happen. Like the, the, the things that happen in this documentary are all kind of based off of bias. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, implicit and otherwise stuff that has been put into our minds um a lot of it is based on media right so i don't know y'all haven't seen the old version of the birth of a nation and everything else but we all know that media plays such a huge role in the things that we believe and we Mm -hmm. saw that happen in front of us during last summer with all of the uh protests all of the um uh, quotation riots, all of uh, the stuff that was going on before the election. We saw this play a hand. And there was there was a lot of people who were like, oh, this is the media, the media, because we ourselves went to different uh, protests. Mm-hmm. None of them ever got violent or anything like that. And that's not to say that the protests did, other places didn't turn violent because they did. Uh, but the media wasn't showing every single pro. Let me just ask you a question. Do you think that you want to sit down and watch a peaceful protest on TV, you're not, you don't, yeah, you're not, not going to do it. It's not going to get your attention. You're not going to watch one on, on TikTok. You want to watch the stuff where people are throwing bricks through windows and stuff like that. Right. You want to see that stuff. And then you're going to turn around and say, this is not what we should be doing. Well, for the first six hours of that protest this is exactly what didn't happen. And then the people who were peaceful left and the people who wanted to cause havoc stayed. And this happens with every single protest. For I mean, whatever it is. When somebody wants a championship. Happen, when it was happening this summer with the Black Lives Matter protest, people were saying these people that are setting the buildings on fire and right. rioting and looting, because that was the big thing, right? Like, oh, I'm down for protest, but once you start root, looting and rioting and setting buildings on fire in your this own neighborhood, it. this is it. We should this never is do this. Completely, you know, unacceptable. Yeah. Well, then you have people who were actually out there for a cause and saying, this is not what it looked like. It was peaceful. Right. This happens because protesters are going to protest. It's our, and our right. And looters are going to loot. Exactly. People come just for that. And they know that they're in a big group and they can blend in mm-hmm. and not be singled out. Right. Mm-hmm. So they took that as an opportunity to create this havoc yeah. that, that wasn't even... The purpose of it. And you could see plenty of people that were the the creators of these protests or the the organizers. Were, organizers, yeah. yes, thank you. That were saying, This is not what we stand for. And if and they're the ones calling the people out saying, Stop doing that. Right. And you didn't nobody wanted to hear that. Of course. Right? But when the Capitol they were quiet. Happened Hush. when it, when people were storming the Capitol. People were like, "This isn't what people were doing. It was peaceful." These people, right? We saw that. This was Antifa, right? You know, right. like uh, so. So, so it, it happens with everyone, and it happens at every protest. And people that want to cause havoc are going to wreak havoc, and people that are out there to peacefully protest are going to peacefully protest. Yeah, all based and rooted in, in bias. So my question to you is. We are all subject to it, and we, if you, uh, uh, honestly, if you're being honest with yourself, then you say that you don't have any biases, you are not being honest with yourself. Uh, So, 
vulnerable and honest moment. Do you remember a time where you ever like bought into bias? Absolutely. Um, yeah, tell me about I it. I think that we would be lying if we said we weren't biased, um, especially as white people, because we grew up in a white society, in a white culture, and I feel like it is our responsibility to unlearn biases. I think our initial reaction is to be biased, to think a certain way, because we were raised a certain way, and everything that we knew was from a certain standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you are raised in a white culture surrounded by white people learning white history and being told certain things you have to unlearn that and i think that that i have biases that i have to check every single day and i've gotten better at it obviously but whereas it used to be large things now it's smaller things like what um so for example and i'll just use um I use this as an, as an example. So I am one of the creators of or one of the brains behind a diversity and inclusion team on at my job in our department. And I think something that's really stuck out to me working in higher ed is that we tend to go after the people who can afford it. Right. We tend to go after the people who have high grades. And you mean when you say go after, you mean like recruiting. Recruiting. Yes. Right. Seek those people. And to me, being a first generation college student, um, growing up in a podunk town where people do trades more than they do more than they go to college. Right. And if they go to college, they usually stick around and do something that they're familiar with. And so for me, it was important to, when I see people that maybe haven't finished everything that we have set before them, you know, mm-hmm. like they haven't done this, this, and this. It's important for me when I do that outreach to those students to really focus on, okay, maybe they're new to this. Maybe they don't know what to do. Maybe they don't understand that there's steps beyond just submitting your application. Right. Um, Maybe they can't afford the application fee. And so I always tell students, we need this, this, and this from you. Mm -hmm. Here's what you can do. If you qualify for this, you can get that fee waived. Great. I do qualify for that. Cool. Have your counselor send us this. Whatever. I think that I brought this to our committee and just basically explained that In higher ed, we tend to go after those who can afford it, those who have high test scores, those that are, that have good grades, but we don't realize that those people typically are the people that are in schools that have more resources. Yeah. Um, They're in the schools that offer ACT, SAT prep, so they're getting additional resources to be able to go on to college, whereas we kind of judge those inner city schools mm-hmm. by they're probably not going to come anyways. Right. So when you say let's we, not ex- you mean lesser higher humans ed. or higher ed? Higher ed. Right, okay. Let's not focus on that population because they're probably not going to come anyways. Right. Or they have low GPAs, low test scores, so um, they're probably going to mess up our retention numbers anyways. Mm. And this isn't just my department. This is like my whole 
thought on higher ed as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. I work in higher ed. I love it. But I also think that there needs to be changes. And I think that we need to change our way of thinking. And so I brought this up and I was like, you know, this is how I feel like we do towards students. And we need to change this because those students don't know what they don't know, right? They don't know that college is could be a reality for them. And so we need to reach out to them. And so just biases like that, like when you're just looking at a student's profile, oh, they have a 16 ACT score and, you know, right. they're probably not going to come anyways. No, they probably do want to come. They just don't know how to get here. And it's our jobs to help them get here. And so just those kind of biases or um, just assuming what somebody does based on what they look like. Mm-hmm. Right. So we were in a training one time and someone from the uh, multicultural affairs office, she's the director. And so she was talking, you know, she's very vibrant. She's a black lady. Um, she was great. She speaks um, very intellectually mm-hmm. and, is also like a people person. You can tell that she's interacting with people. And so she's like, what do you think my major was? And we're all like, uh, probably marketing or, you know, management or some soft skills major. Right. And she was like, cool. I majored in engineering. Right. And none of you guessed that because of how I look and how I act. And so that was your bias. That you just assumed that I was some soft skills major because of my personality. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's important for us to check our biases because we all have biases and we, it's our initial reaction. And so I think that it's important for us to retrain ourselves that way it's not our initial reaction. And if it is, we can correct ourselves and, and move past that. No, I definitely... Definitely feel that bias is something that we we all struggle with. But if you don't know that you you have them, you're going to struggle with it even even more because <clears throat> you'll defend that. Right. Mm-hmm. You'll defend I'm not biased or this wasn't an issue. And why are you always playing the race card? <laughs> that is a telltale sign to me that you have not checked your biases and you're right. not understanding because I'm not just check playing the race card for the most part. If I'm saying it, some people have a bias in a way that where they always play a race card. So I'll kind of talk about that. Sometimes I always see stuff in race, right? Mm-hmm. Um, perfect example, and this is like a handicap for me, and I'm, I'm sure it is a, uh, for the for a lot of black people. Remember when we were walking out of our apartment? So we live on campus. We're walking out of our apartment, and there was a, a fire alarm going off. And mm-hmm. so the, the police officers came to go check the fire alarm out. It was uh, up the stairs from our apartment, so it was right next to our apartment. And as we're walking out, the police officer came down and said, oh, hey, y'all weren't smoking weed, were you? You know, he was just joking. <clears throat> My immediate reaction was, why did you say that to me? Mm-hmm. If I were not black, would you have said that to me? Right? That was my, like, immediate, re- like, in my immediate response in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's, like, somewhat of a bias that I have because, honestly, he could have just been joking, right? right? But that probably wasn't even a thought on his mind. Right. Which I uh, think he was joking. Right, right. He was joking. Mm-hmm. And so, my point is that biases go in a different lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we have to check those. In that moment, I didn't say nothing. I just laughed and kept going. 
uh, because I have no idea what his intentions were. Uh, and they didn't necessarily feel as if they were racial, but that was my first bias was that like this white man asking me about if I was smoking weed when it wasn't, didn't even happen is exactly why I don't fuck with police. Right. Like that was like the thing. Uh, and I said that in a jestful way, um, I do fuck with the police. I don't fuck with the institution. Anyway, speaking of the institution, let's talk about prison and jail. Okay. Do you have any experience with prison and jail or? Uh, not really. I mean, I know people who have gone to prison, but it was because of something that they did. Right. You know, like they straight up did, um, like stealing or right fraud things like that but um no i i really don't have a lot of experience with the jail system well what are your given the information that you have right like my thoughts in general with prison and jails i think that they are we watched 60 days in we love that show Mm -hmm. um at least the first two seasons because after that it was like this is going to be an experiment that has ran over and over so we'll probably see some very similar things Mm -hmm. mind you i think that sometimes it's a little risky to like watch a show and, and make your mind up about how you feel about an environment that people are living in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we get to see it. The conditions that people are staying in is deplorable. Mm-hmm. It is ridiculous. And it feeds into our bias of like out of sight, out of mind. They're at a place, you know, like there's this one girl who went in and was like, they get three square meals, meals a day and they do this. And like, Prison should be in jail should be a cakewalk and it's unfair that my husband has to work and we have to pay for our meals and they get theirs. And she quickly changed her tune. Yeah. She quickly changed her tune when she was inside. If you haven't watched 60 Days In, I think you probably should. It's a good one. It's a good show because it's a show where they send regular people in who have not experienced or know anything about prison or jails and they get to experience firsthand undercover. So they're in jail for 60 days. And um, it is wild because... People don't understand that you become a part of your environment. When mm-hmm. I was going to school in Louisiana, I started to talk like the people in Louisiana. <laughs> so much so that when I came home, my mom would always remind me, you're not in Louisiana anymore. You be, you start to become your environment. And so as humans, we were not born to be in these little itty bitty cages and cells, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've always had the idea that like, there's a couple of prisons around the world that do this already. But my grand idea, and I did a lot of master's work on this, um, is that I wanted to like have, I still kind of want to do this. If I had enough land to create like a utopian prison. Explain. Okay. So we're in a remote location asked to somewhat deter people from escaping or trying to run away. Somewhat like how how Alcatraz was, right? I was about to say, oh, like Alcatraz. Yes, because if you (laughs) leave, you know, the dangers of leaving are far greater than you staying. Because this is a, so, a social experiment. So imagine this is you're in a large area, but it's kind of like a military base. So where you come in, you're probably not going to get out. But the thing is, it's a functioning town. The prisoners who come have been psychologically evaluated and, and have other evaluations um, that allow them to actually be rehabilitated. And so inside, they will have... Uh, you know, their own dorm room and or maybe their own houses or whatever, but they live somewhat of a normal life. They will have jobs where they work um, for the community. So whether that be like you're farming or you're a mechanic or you work at the grocery store because every week you'll get an allotment of money 
to be able to go to the grocery store by your own money. My point is to be able to treat these humans as humans, not animals, to be able to give them choices. How does that fare for helping rehabilitate them to get back into the society, right? Mm -hmm. Versus putting somebody in prison and jail for a certain amount of time and just, and then just releasing them back into the, uh, into the society stuff changes so fast. I'm, I don't know how to be a citizen again. So I've, I've always wondered what it would be like to have, um, inmates who are elite or who are about to patch out or whatever, this be like a patch program. So like yeah. you're about to get out in the next year or so or two years and you come stay here after you've been vetted and you know, we kind of, teach you and retrain you how to be a member of the community again it's asked to help people not go back in and also for them to gain skills that when they get out they can get a job and to fend for themselves um so that's kind of like prison and they're just deplorable i hate them especially private prisons because it really is a business and if you own a prison you're trying to put heads in beds right much like any other housing apparatus mm -hmm. so that you can get money because you don't make money with a private prison if people aren't in your prison Right, I think private prisons should be done away with. Right, uh, I agree. Well, that's just me. Here's a hot topic: How do you feel about releasing people <clears throat> who went in for crimes that aren't crimes now? So, like marijuana charges. Yes. Um. Yeah. So I think that federally, it's still illegal. Yeah, right? but we're marijuana. not talking about federal right, right. crime, right? Right. Statewise, yes. If you live in California, or California, Colorado, Oregon, all these places where marijuana is legal, mm -hmm. I do not think you should be in jail for that. And I get that when they did the crime, that it was illegal, so they had to do the time. But they've already done time for that, and now people are literally making money off of it, like full blown businesses right. and running marijuana farms and cannabis farms and same thing but I, I don't think that they should still be sitting in a cage while people are making money off of it yes legally making yes. money off of it i feel the same and here's my logic behind it if we were to take this for anything else mm -hmm. okay i'm just gonna use riding your bike if I were to throw you in jail for riding your bike when nobody was allowed to ride bikes and then we figured out that riding bikes was was harmless, was actually a very good exercise for people and it would actually make people healthy. So we legalized bike riding. Why am I continuing to punish you for the fact that we remembered or figured out there, there's an error in our ways? Right. You know what? We are sorry because now we have come to the conclusion that this is actually something that can benefit our society. Right. People should be immediately released. Immediately. I also hate the fact that people who have felony charges can't vote. Yes. Well, some states, because some states in are some getting states. back. Yes. Because you do a crime, you have done the time. Right. And now you're out. Why? And, and if you're out and you can get a job, because first of all, it's, hard to get a job with a felony charge yes right so you get a job you are a functioning member of society you are paying your taxes you are living in these communities you are boosting the economy of these communities that you're spending your money in you're making your money in you're right. living in you're paying right. taxes your kids are going to school right why do you not have the opportunity to have a say so of what goes on to have a say 
in who gets to make those laws Mm -hmm. that you have to live under. Well, I'll tell you why. It's one word and it is racism. And let me let me create the, the parallel. That was written back in the day. Black people make up how much of our society right now? Six percent? Yeah, six point. I think the number says six percent, around six percent. We make up only almost forty percent of the the prison population. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? That means there's going to be a lot of people who are black that can't vote. You don't, y'all don't think that 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 was intentional? This is what suppression. we mean when people say systemic racism and voter suppression and voter suppression. This is the systemic stuff. Okay, we can't have you as slaves, but we can if you're a criminal. So we'll arrest you. And also, once you do your time, you know what? If you're a criminal, you can't, you don't have the right to vote anymore. Why? Because 40% of the prison population is the black population. So that means there's a lot of black people who won't be voting. And who right. is that going to benefit? The white folks of America. So Them yes, <laughs> So yes, that's a soldier boy joke. That is not uh, uh, Katie out here just slurring people up. Okay. Look it up on YouTube. Soldier boy joke. Breakfast club. Anyway. People all the time kind of dig into why does it always come to this? Everything isn't... <laughs> Everything isn't systemic racism. The thing about America is you can almost trace everything back to systemic racism. But it is. You really can. If you dig deep enough, you really can. And even when you talk about those opportunity conversations and this this conversation, even um, it it kind of feels the same as like the student loan conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. People. Well, what about the people who paid off their loans? Again. Congratulations. But really, you just sound like a hater. You sound like you got got and you want other people to get got because you got got. That's what it sounds like. We know that people are going to do crimes. That happens. We're humans. People are going to do crimes. Some of the laws on the books are outdated. They're stupid. They need to be changed and reformed. We get it. But, but stuff doesn't make sense because it doesn't the ratio isn't the same. So I'm going to shift the conversation real quick to black lives matter. How many people get shot by the police per year? It's a lot, which that's trash should not happen. People will make the argument. There's more white people that get shot and you're not wrong. That's not a wrong assessment. Look at the facts. There are more white people to get shot by police, Right. Here's the thing. We're talking about ratio. There are more white people in America. So if you if you look at the data, people do crime evenly. White people do just as much crime as black people, as Asians, as Hispanics, and everybody else. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense for the threat to be bigger for white people because white people, there's more of. So it would make sense that there's more white people being shot by police officers. However, for every one white person that's shot by a police officer, there's three to four. It's like 3.2 times more likely for black people to be shot by a police officer. That's where Black Lives Matter stems from. It should not be that. It should be a one-to-one ratio. 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We have a smaller population. The fact that or a one to less than one or ratio. less than one, yeah, yeah. It shouldn't necessarily be even. My point is that it should be if there's three times more white people, it should be that white people are three times more likely. It shouldn't be people getting shot at all. But if that is the case, that's what it should be. So when you talk about the history of America and we talk about Jim Crow and we talk about all of that stuff, my parents grew, my dad was born in 54. In 54, segregation was still a thing. Mm-hmm. So this isn't, we're not talking about, oh, your grandparents weren't slaves, your parents weren't slaves. Bro, what? What was happening in 54? People were still retreating to get to better places so that they couldn't, they didn't have to deal with the KKK and the Jim Crow of the South and trying to go to schools that weren't segregated, that had better opportunities for people. So it's wild. So for the longest time, it has felt like, and it has been that black lives have not mattered to the American culture and the American fabric from the second we was brought from the shores of Africa. We just workers. Mm -hmm. It's fine for us to build America. It's not fine for us to be a part of it. So that's it. That's just the rhetoric. Then comes the what? The, The equalizer is the all lives matter. All lives matter wasn't a thing before black lives matter, which means it's a response to black lives matter, which means when you say all lives matter, what it means to everybody is that you don't recognize what black lives matter means because black lives matter actually does mean all lives matter. Right. And you're saying it in response to Black Lives Matter, which then makes you to negate the fact, right? Which means you, which to us makes you racist. You can't support a cause that what we're actually saying is all lives matter. You can't even say that. You can't say Black Lives Matter. Because if you knew what it meant, you would know that it means all lives matter. Exactly. They are synonymous. Because we know that white lives matter. We we see that every day. We know that everybody's life matters. What we're trying to say is that stop acting like the, everybody's life doesn't. Specifically talking about this. And we don't, and there's a lot of parallels. We don't say anything about everything else. Mm-hmm. Today is Perry's birthday. Happy birthday, Perry. Nobody is walking around saying all birthdays matter. When we have a breast cancer month, nobody's talking about other cancers. We recognize that all cancer is bad, right? It's the same for Black History Month. Mm-hmm. There's always a need. Everything that happens for the black community comes out of a need. So I implore you, really, I really do, if you are a subscriber of All Lives Matter, to really just to really dive into how Black Lives Matter started. Not what you think about Black Lives Matter. Not what you have seen through the media of Black Lives Matter. How it started after the Trayvon Martin uh, killings, killing. What it actually means, because it actually does mean all lives matter. Speaking of BLM, is there one police incident that really like sticks with you? Because I got one. Yeah, mine's Trayvon Martin. Okay. Because I, what year was that? Oh, it was it was a while ago. Anyways, um, so I am twenty twelve. Okay, so I am about the same age as Trayvon Martin. And so I was learning and kind of figuring stuff out because I was in high school. So I was kind of doing my own learning and and my own research and 
making my own opinions and having my own thoughts mm-hmm. and branching out from what I had been taught my entire life or what what tree I had been under my whole life and kind of like stepping out and and making my own decisions and making my own thoughts. And so or opinions. So yeah, he was born in 95, me too. So um that wasn't a police shooting, obviously. George Zimmerman was a neighborhood watchman. They talk about stand your ground in 13th as well. Yes. Um, Which, how do you stand your ground when you're in the middle of the street? (laughs) Not even at your house, but okay. Um, So that one, that one really stuck with me in, in that whole case, because one, we are the same age Two, I, I thought that it was incredible that and, and not incredible in a good way, just like mind boggling that to me it seemed very cut and dry, right? It seemed like there was this innocent teenage boy walking home from a store mm-hmm. and someone saw him as a threat and so took it upon themselves to end his life, right? Took it upon themselves to be. Judge, jury, and executor. After they, the the, the after people told the dispatcher him, told him stop to him. leave him alone. Yes. So that is what really kind of sparked my interest in, I guess, police brutality history mm-hmm. and things that had gone on before and things that have gone on since, and because I remember watching the trial. Of George Zimmerman and just being amazed that there were no consequences for his actions. And at this time, I'm in Podunk, London. I don't know much about law. I don't know much about really anything, right? I'm in high school. And so just watching that, I was just amazed that, and, and me not knowing anything, that there were no consequences for his actions and that he just got off and and they said not guilty, and he smiled, and he was shaking hands, and I was just like... And selling bags of Skittles. This whole community, like the community that he was raised in in Florida, mm-hmm. but also his family and the black community as a whole, it was a slap in the face. And they so, didn't give a damn. And so that is kind of what, what struck my interest in all of this. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Trayvon. Um I was in college, so it was just like, that was wild to me. I think the one that that really hurts me the most, that just really, really gets me, is Philando Castile, and mm-hmm. and this is why. Um, when we have debates, when I have debates with people, which I've somewhat stopped doing online, here's what I'll do. If we want to talk about something, I'll talk with you. Let's jump on IG Live or call me on the phone or whatever. I'm, sh- I'm not going to get in a debate online anymore mm-hmm. uh, because I want to speak to you. And so... I think one of the common things we'll always hear is, oh, well, you never know what's going to happen. A police officer never knows what's going to happen. He could have had a gun on him. The could have, the what ifs, right? Mm -hmm. Which I hate. I am not a fan of a what if. If you are a police officer right now, I I 100% thank you for your service. I think what you're doing is very noble. Uh, Thank you for protecting me. I will continue to pay my taxes so you can have Mm -hmm. a job. That does not take away the feeling that I have that you knew what you were signing up for. You knew... As being a police officer, this is what you want to do. You had a threat of death every single day. What makes you heroic is that you have that threat and you continue to do it. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm not going to, uh, that doesn't make me feel any less if a police officer is slain. I still feel the same, right? I feel as if that, that police officer's life should not have been taken. Mm-hmm. My point is that you cannot walk around in life acting like everybody is an enemy because that's not how the community is. Or every black person. Or every black person. It, it, forget the what ifs. There needs to be a concrete. This is a threat. Not I feared for my life. I fear for my life every day, and I ain't never killed nobody. It needs to be concrete. So for Philando Castile, he is in his car with his wife and his child mm. in the back. Yeah, this that one messed me up too. A legal gun owner, legal gun owner. Who also has his concealed carry, which is why his gun was concealed in his car. And do you know what he told the police officer? I have a weapon. Here's where the weapon is. I am a legal gun owner. It is in the car. Here's where it is. Because you don't, so you don't shoot me. Because the argument I get with people is if you would have just followed orders, this would not have happened. Mm -hmm. Me being a black person and have experienced some shit with the police officer where that didn't happen. I know that that's not true. You just follow orders and you good. Yeah, well, you told me to get on the ground. I got on the ground. I was following orders. And you put your knee in my neck and I died. So what are you talking about? So I told you where the gun was, that I'm a legal gun owner. I can do that because that's a right that is given to me. And these people care so much about their rights. This, and then the police officer who already had the gun out, ask him, go ahead and get your license and registration. Philando, who was not reaching for his gun, Reaches to get his license and registration and is shot. In front of his wife, mm. in front of his kid, and sits there bleeding out while his wife, while is, his wife begging. is begging yeah. for them to help. Matter of, and the guy, Philando is literally has blood all over his white tee, who is dying. He's losing his breath. We are watching him on Facebook Live draw his last breaths. Do, does a police officer run to give aid? The police officer stood at the window with his gun still drawn. As if Philando was going to somehow muster up the strength to pull out his gun and shoot the cop. Hands shaking and everything else. That one sticks with me so bad and it just pisses me off so much. And it literally gives me like anxiety about every time I pass a police officer because I am Philando. I don't want no smoke. I have and will own guns. You've carried them in your car. I carry them in my car. I don't ever want to be in a moment or a situation to where I'm doing exactly what everybody is telling me I'm supposed to be doing. That if I just follow orders on this day when I want to go pick up lunch or from Chick-fil-A and McAllister's, that I die because some imbecile who I literally warned for his safety and mine, decided that it was fearful enough for him to shoot me. Like, part of me, every time I get stopped, we just wants to get out the car and just, like, go to the front of the car and, like, sit on the ground. Like, strip butt naked. Would that make you feel... I know I'm, like, joking here, but what makes you feel the safest? And the thing is, you're, you're supposed to be working for me. I should feel safe that you showed up. And and Philando just sticks with me so hard. I hate watching that video, but like I literally will watch it about once a year just to remind myself that this shit doesn't matter. And that we need some serious, serious, serious police reform because this man is, this is the perfect example. 
So if you are ever in this debate and you are talking to somebody, please bring up Philando because Philando, much like everybody else, but they don't want to hear this, did exactly what they were supposed to do, mm-hmm. exactly what they can do. Mm-hmm. I have the right to be upset. The police officer is going to tell me to shut my fucking mouth. I, I was about to say. I can tell him to shut the fuck up. I am, I am within my right to talk to him as disrespectful as I want to. I can be upset. We're humans. I just got pulled over for what seemingly to me means no reason. You're trying to tell me that I have to be calm and collected? No. The person who is a trained officer should be calm and collected. Right. And that goes back to the whole police Sandra reform Bl- and Sandra Bland when everybody yes. was like, she was she had an attitude. She had an attitude. So the fuck what? She can have an attitude. She her mouth isn't a weapon. She's not going to like kill you by talking. If I wanted know? to sit on the thing and cuss out the police officer all day, I'm fully within my rights to do so. You can't arrest me on my fucking attitude. Right. I can be upset. People are upset all the time. And I feel like something that happens is that um, obviously nobody is happy when they get pulled over. Nobody. People be crying and shit. And so, guilty. And so, I feel like, and, and I'm not speaking on every police officer, so please do not come at me, but I feel like that is kind of a jaded profession. So when you deal with people who are in bad moods all the time because they're probably annoyed that they got pulled over right. or if they're speeding, they were probably speeding because they have somewhere to be and now right. this is just putting them behind even more. They're probably in a bad mood when you come up to the car, right? right. And so I feel like sometimes it's a tough job. officers are already on the defense. Right. Which is and are already ready <clears throat> to be an ass because the person that they pulled over is also going to be that way, you know? So they already have that energy because sometimes you can just be chilling and you're like, yeah, I was speeding, whatever. And, and you know that that's coming. Right. And then the officer comes up and has an attitude and you're like, what? Like, right. I'm not even giving you mouth. Why are you being rude to me right now? Right. And, and, and it's I'm like, I'm going to accept your ticket. <clears throat> I know that I did the crime, whatever. But like, you don't have to be an a-hole about it. Yes. And I have friends and cousins and families who are police officers and they, uh, and I know them personally and they're great community officers mm-hmm. and they don't, I don't have that attitude. Right? right. Now I'm sure they probably have on a daily basis because right. we all in our jobs have bad, have had, days. Have bad yeah. days. Right. Here's the thing though, is that there's, there's some professions where you really can't have a bad day. I feel like police officers, one of them. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a citizen it's really like you get, it's a lottery that you play every time that you get pulled over. And so for me, and I'm speaking from my own experience, I've pulled, o- I've got pulled over probably, <clears throat> probably close to 20 times in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, probably close to 20 times Dang. in my lifetime. That not all of them resulted in having tickets, but that doesn't mean all of them didn't result in getting disrespected. Mm-hmm. And I would probably say I was di- disrespected probably 70% of the time. On some, I don't understand me just asking questions mm-hmm. like, you know, why am I pulled over? I'll do the talking here. So I can't talk to you, right? Like that's not supposed to turn me up, you know. Like like stuff like that, like treating you like you're not, like I'm not, not a, citizen, a citizen, like you're not a person, right? Yeah. And like not to not to like I don't pay your salary, bro. Like my money is going to disservice. No, I feel you. Stop being disrespectful, and and that's just lottery. And then the other time, the forty percent of the time, then very pleasant interactions. Mm-hmm. Walking up, like you were in the car one time. I mean, I got pulled over. Mm-hmm. We were coming back from uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas. I got pulled over, um, and this is something that this is the first time that Katie's been in a car with me. So I can only imagine 
the uh the the, the anxiety and things that are going through your mind mm-hmm. this is also during uh, another time where black lives matter and, and protests and stuff is all like is like, roaring up and one of katie's responses to me was like do you remember what you said to me go ahead say it. it's okay well you nah, don't preface it say what you said <laughs> What did I say word for word? Like, don't have an attitude? Yes. Yeah. It was something of that thing. It was like, yeah. don't have an attitude. I was like, so my initial thought was that I was immediately mad at Katie. I have been, first off, I've been through this a lot. Mm-hmm. Second off, I know what I'm doing. Third off, what you had just told me in that moment felt as if like you had been that person who was saying, even if I have an attitude, I deserve whatever's going to come to me. Mm-hmm. That would have felt like based on the experiences that I had, the conversation that I had with people. Now, luckily, I was able, I'm a little bit more mature now, to scale that back and recognize the 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 scale of the moment. This is the first time you have ever been in a car with me. I know how you feel about this situation. One of your biggest fears is that me getting, getting killed by a police officer. I know this. We were just talking about it just now and you were tearing up. So I understand this. So I was like, all right, that's not what she's trying to say. It's a terrible way of her trying to say it, but this is the first time it's not what she's trying to say. The police officer comes up, he pulls me over, uh, you know, I give him my stuff and he's, you know, what are you doing? I'm coming back and were you speeding or why were you speeding? And, and I just, we just crossed state lines. I'm trying to get home. Mm-hmm. And he goes to the car, runs runs my place and everything else. And he's like, all right, just slow down. I'll give you a warning. And I'm, I appreciate it, officer. Thank you. And we go. Very pleasant. Wasn't, I didn't feel like he was being too inquisitive. He really just wanted to slow me down. Uh, earlier, l- literally last month, we were driving to New Mexico. I'm speeding in New Mexico. The police officer didn't even pull me over. He just flashed the lights at me to tell me to slow down. Right? Just, hey, you're going too fast. Slow down. So I don't have to pull you over. So I, I'm telling you to say that, like, I feel as if people, if you have one negative thought against a, the police institution or police, people automatically think you're, like, anti-police. Mm-hmm. I am not anti-police. However, I understand how institutions can be against a certain people and can oppress people. Which is why it's going to lead to my 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 next and last question, or close to the last question, which is: We need reform. What would you like to see reform within the system? I feel like there needs to be. I don't know how this would work, but I feel like the tensions have gotten so high that. Like I said, when police officers show up to a scene and they're already on high alert, they're already on the defense, they already think that they're the ones working against that perpetrator or whatever. Um, And that police brutality and black people have become so angry. I mean, not become, have are, are so angry about the nonsense killings you know right of their people that there is this tension between black people and police officers that when something happens the tensions are already high and i honestly feel like if you are scared you do not need to be it's okay to be scared it's okay to be scared but if you if your first reaction when you're scared is to pull a gun to choose to end someone's life, that is not the profession for you. There has to be some other way of de-escalation right? than to automatically put your hand on your gun and threaten that person because now they're going to be pissed 
that you or, think that the appropriate reaction right. is to pull a gun. Or even more scared. Like Or scared. And and we are We act citizens. erratic. We yeah. are we are like I said citizens. I meant civilians. We don't have any training on de-escalation. We don't have our our initial response in fear. It could be anything. Could be anything. Yeah. And it could be erratic. Right. You know? Right. So that is when the officer needs to de-escalate the situation and not escalate it based on their fear because they are trained or should be trained on how to deal with those high anxiety times. Right. So... Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. I feel that. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I would actually like to, and I'm going to try to reach out to some police officers this week uh, to get their, um, uh, not response, but get their pers- per perspective because uh, maybe we're missing something. But for me, what I would like to see reformed in the system is that I think that um, with the criminal justice system in general, I know that there's a bunch of CJ majors and people who want to be in criminal justice. Mm-hmm. Then they figure out you have to be a patrol officer and they're like, hell no, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm out. I think much like any other profession, that there should be jobs in the field that are not associated with being a police officer. Right. Okay. Meaning if I want to work in criminal justice research or working as like in a, in some sort of admin in the office or, uh, or like some a sort detective, of detective, detective that is very, who is like crime scene detective, right. Who's doing stuff like that. You should officer. Thank you. Uh, cause they're like, oh, you have to get into the mind of a criminal. Well, th- not even, there's a lot of officers who don't even understand the mind of a criminal. You want to know why? Because there is no certain set of mind of a criminal. Right. I tell you what the mind is. People do things when they are desperate, when they feel as if they don't have, mm-hmm. that's the mind of a criminal and that's the mind of everybody. So I think that that's one thing that needs to be reformed is, um, is the, the allowal of, for instance, there's plenty of coaches in the NFL and the NBA who never played the game. And they're great, phenomenal coaches. I don't think you have to be... Uh, we need to get out of the notion in all of these careers, really, but specifically in criminal justice of you have to start at the at the rugged bottom to understand how to get to the top. Mm-hmm. I think that there's very much levels for you to be inserted. What's the point of even getting a criminal justice degree if I can't understand criminal justice without having to be a part of the, the lower rung? Right. And I've already gone through the academy, too. So I right. have a degree and you've taught me exactly what I need to know. Right. So why do I need that? And I think that that would be great for people who, who want to be in criminal justice, but maybe are a little bit too, um, too antsy that they actually pose a threat to the society when they're out there patrolling the streets Mm -hmm. who are not really great at de-escalating, who can't really keep their cool in, uh, situations and stuff like that. Right. That's probably good for them to be able to be, uh, still a part of the system, but not working out, um, in the field, and I get it. And then the other thing is that um, qualified immunity has got to go. It has got to go. And I know, I understand why there's a protection for it. I get it. Um, if I was a police officer, I would want it. But it's got to go. I think that police officers need to be held accountable. And I also think that people's taxpayers, uh, people's tax dollars should not be paying for people's me- for police officers' mess-ups. Yeah. When a police officer messes up and is found guilty or whatever else, or they settle out in court for for seventy seven million dollars because they use uh, uh, unlawful force on somebody, we are paying for that, not the police officer. Right. The police officer needs to have a pension or something. Something else needs to pay for that so that they understand what the consequences are. It can't just be, 
I was afraid for my life or this, that, and the third, and the taxpayers will pay for it if there's an, an incident. I also think that we need to have a national regist- registry. This is like something I'm, I'm a very strong proponent of, mm-hmm. of when people get complaints or they have been uh, terminated from their job and stuff like that. They can't just go and they get, can't just get another, another job. Department. Yeah. They, I can look up, matter of fact, it's a public job. I can look up your badge number or whatever number associated with you in this registry to see what your record is. Everybody, a regular civilian should be able to look up a person and see everything about that person. I believe all of these things will help just to make, to help somebody think twice. And I know that there's people out there that are like, if you think twice, you'll die and stuff like that. Like, I don't necessarily think that that's the case. And I think that if you are able to, um, you know, be in certain situations as far as crisis management, uh, yes, things happen on, on, on the drop of a dime. But I think that if you don't have, you think differently. Can you imagine if a police officer didn't have guns? I guarantee you that they pull up on situations differently. Guaranteed. If they didn't have lethal force, force to use, they would think through a situation before they got into it. Fully. Something else that I think needs to happen is that we need to have more resources for these quote-unquote criminals, right? Yes. So I know that when the state of Oregon decriminalized all of their drugs, like heroin, cocaine, um, methamphetamine, people were like, what the hell is happening in Oregon? Right. But decriminalizing it doesn't mean that they're just letting people do it. You can do it. It means that you're not going to go sit in a jail cell because of this. You probably are going to get sent to a rehab facility or something like that. And I don't know because they're reallocating. Read enough into it to um, speak on it. But what I think is that we need a system that is better suited for these people. Police officers probably aren't fully trained on how to deal with somebody who's going through a mental break. They're not, because that's not what they signed up for. Right. And I agree. They shouldn't be doing that. We should have people, and we do have people, who are willing to be a part of the force, who will go out to people who are having mental health issues and stuff like that. Or addicts. Like, addiction is not as simple as saying, stop doing that. Or put them in a jail cell because then they can't have it so then they won't do it one drugs are getting into your jails two being without doesn't mean they're not going to go back on the street and do the exact same thing because an addict is an addict you have that mindset of you are a addicted to something right and you have to have it and you have to fight that but if you don't have the resources to fight that and your only resource is that it's withheld from you right and you get out of jail and you it's available to you again. You're going to go do it again. Yeah. You're going to do it again. And so I think that there has to be something else for these people that are addicts and, you know, mental health patients. Like mm-hmm. there has to be something else besides just throwing them in jail because that's not doing anything for them. No, yeah, there definitely is. And I feel for police officers in that ring because I don't think that that's something that they signed up for. I don't think that that's something that they're trained for. I don't even think that there's something that they should, that's something that they should be handling. Um, There's professionals who do this every single day. Uh, I wish I had Mish on on the podcast today to talk about kind of what she does and stuff like that. But there are professionals who do this. So, um, yeah, I mean, I know this segment has gone long about police and everything else, but I do think that there is reform that needs to happen. Um, I hope it does happen. And 
I really think ju- just you know wrapping it up. Please take the take the time to sit down and watch this documentary. It's called Thirteenth. It is about the Thirteenth Amendment, uh, how it disproportionately affects the uh, specifically black males, but the black community. And uh, there's a lot of conversation that can come out of it. And I think you could spend time to educate yourself um, about the black communities and the struggles that they face specifically uh, talking about the struggle of the <clears throat> the systemic oppression from the uh, federal and, 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 and local police force and things of that nature. Uh, so we appreciate y'all sticking around uh, for this long discussion. And I'm sure we can go much much longer on this but uh that's what we want y'all to do right <laughs> to go longer go eat a waffle that's what typically we do we go to just just waffling and have like these deep long discussions yeah uh but whatever that means for you you do that and while you are doing that and you're tipping your uh your your cash i mean your uh your, your server and you have your money out you should also Throw a little money our way, right? Uh, to our cash app, to our Venmo, Press Next Podcast. We are self-funded. Uh, we do want to add a couple more components and stuff like that. We want to increase our production for you, increase the time and uh, resources that we have to bring you good uh, information and also to bring on different hosts and stuff that we may have to pay. Uh, so we appreciate the love. Uh, if you love us, show it to us uh, in many different ways. Um, you can also click the link in our bio to uh, join our Press Next Package. We will send a package out this month to a lucky random person, one of our uh, listeners. A lucky listener. And we we thank y'all for that. Join our Facebook group. Follow us on Twitter, Press Next Pod. Uh, follow us on IG and on TikTok, Press Next Podcast. Um, you want to say, you want to tell them anything before we get out of here? No, I'm just educate yourself. Um, if you have any questions that come of this or if you want to talk about it, reach out to me or Corey and yes. we'll be happy to. Talk to to, to talk to you definitely we we love to talk about this we would love to talk to you uh we can do it over the phone we can we could chat in the dms whatever you want to do we'll do it um and we we thank y'all we love y'all for listening peace out Bye.